Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy this show, please share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. If you've not yet given us a five-star rating or a positive review, please do so. Do it now. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, an Anglican priest. Chris, how are you? Kirk, I'm great. We had a, a wonderful weekend. I uh, feel bad uh, kind of telling you last week, last minute that like, Kirk, I can't record the podcast today. There was just too much to do Thursday before we left town for a brief getaway ski trip. And so yes, sorry, listeners, for yes. skipping for skipping that. Only in Flatland do we drive four hours um, to a 290-foot vertical you know, drop. Skiing ski on the prairie, don't you know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, we, we went four hours away uh, to, to, to ski w- with our kids and uh, had a great day of skiing on Saturday. I mean, we were it was like a 24-hour trip. Drove four hours, spent the night, skied for five, and then drove home so, so that I could preach and celebrate on Sunday. And uh, Kirk, you'll be excited to know this, uh, not just as a dad, but as, as just like somebody who gets excited about saving money. Like I, if I ever save money, <laughs> I love to, to, to call you or text you and let you know yes. like how I save money because we have season passes here in town at great bear. There's this, uh, the ski area we went was a sister ski area that offered us complimentary tickets. We flashed our passes and got free tickets. Amazing. Right. That is super cool. Yeah. Super so, cool. So we we own our equipment. Uh, we got free lift tickets. So pr- pr- pretty uh, pretty affordable weekend for us. Kirk, I hear you have phenomenal weather today. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Okay. So I uh, let's get the weather report. Kirk. You do everyone's favorite bit where um, where we do show and tell, and um, we could do that. I'm gonna show I'm gonna show you what our weather radar looks like right now <laughs> because it is. It's the blotch. Uh, the, the most disgusting thing ever. So right now, uh, winter storm Landon, um, which is funny. I have, I have a student named Landon and I asked him to, I, I called him to read something. I was like, wait, stop. <laughs> Do you know the name of the, the, the storm that's outside? He's like, I don't know. I said, it's Landon. And he smiled <laughs> <laughs> like he was like Thor, the God of thunder or something, or like the God of winter. All right. So, so this, this is, Storm Landon, reaching right Ooh, now yeah. from Dallas to Toronto, um, and everything north of us, Cleveland, Erie, Detroit, Toronto, Buffalo, it's all getting snow. Everything south of us is getting rain, Charleston, Morgantown, <laughs> uh, uh, Western Maryland, etc. Which means that you are getting 
Ice. Ice. That that like ugly bland, ugly band that you see right there. And and that band has been sitting on top of us. So this 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 like cold mass, this polar vortex pushed down. Well, simultaneously, this is a highly technical scientific segment. <laughs> well, simultaneously, a, a a a warm wet mass pushed up, and like they're doing battle right above us. The weather gods do not care about Pittsburgh, and and we are um, we are suffering. Yeah, I went outside, Christopher, and it is like <laughs> a pair of ice where you can like with your hand pick up like a sheet. It's like a plate of glass. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. off, off your window. It's it is like it is awful. So um, already no school tomorrow. Today was virtual. Tomorrow is virtual. Landon has been unkind, but tomorrow we're going to get five inches of snow on top of this. So I like, I don't even know if like all of our sporting events on Saturday, am I going to get to coach basketball on Saturday? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see that that may actually make it drivable. Like that may pack down on top of the ice and cause ice itself is, is the worst. I love that, that brief video clip of the person like taking one step onto their driveway and <laughs> yes. sliding all the way down <laughs> to the bottom. Like, they, like yes. it's, it's just sheer, you know, I'm gonna have to post that in, in the Facebook group, but, um, that's what I think of when I think of ice. Ice is is the worst. It's 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 actually dangerous for walking. It's certainly dangerous for driving. Um, it's it's just no fun. So I, I hope that it melts quickly or or gets get some snow packed down on top of that. Yeah, I've been thinking about you recently and and mom and dad as I uh, more show and tell a gift from my my dear wife Kim. 23 and me, I had my, my ancestry composition like done. And, um, this, I don't know this about siblings, Christopher, would you and I, would you and I have the same or does certain, um, or, or do certain genes become predominant and show up? I, I don't know how that works, but anyhow, did I tell you this? I think I told you this, um, our cousin who, um, right. who is the son, uh, our father is a genetic twin um our identical just, twins yeah yeah yep. yeah 23 and me our, our mom is a fraternal twin our our dad is a, gen- yeah. is a 23 and me thinks that our cousin josh is my half brother yeah <laughs> it's like connecting me as a half brother so i've been having fun with that as well um that's been a fun thing and i kind of want to like yeah s- send and it to it, you so like it confirmed can... that uh what we have suspected for a long time that you are a uh significant percentage of uh what is it uh caveman what's what's the term yes I'm, I'm, uh, I am more Neanderthal than 88% of humanity. <laughs> I have more Neanderthal DNA, which, which to the surprise to, of nobody to your wife, uh, that explained much, right? Right. I'm also 0.9% Sardinian. So that's weird. I don't know, you know, who in our background had a, had a Mediterranean fling. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. That's, but that's fascinating. My, Kirk, my, uh, my very Italian friend who my carpool with Clint DeLuca, um, when he was asking about, um, I was telling him about it cause I've been telling everybody about it cause I'm having fun with it. And he said, uh, he said, well, well how much Italian are you? everyone's got to have some Italian in them. And I'm like, that is so funny that you say, <laughs> Because somewhere in me is rattling around 0.9% Sardinian. So, so that means you can uh, do just an a intense Italian accent without it being <laughs> offensive. Because you are 9% Italian. <laughs> I, my pizza is the real thing, man. <laughs> it is the real It is the real thing. Yes. Forget, it's, what's interesting about this 23andMe stuff is family secrets that have been kept 
for many yes. generations have, have come out. Uh, and, yes. you know, people who have who have conceived babies in shame and who never thought that anyone would ever know um, are being confronted by children who are like yes. you. Like my dad is not my dad. Like that's <laughs> like, why didn't you ever tell me? Okay, this and, is not um, anecdotal. This has hit me personally. My content partner, the other history teacher in my grade, um, she did it and she won't look because her son um, was connected as a relative to um, a neighbor that she had while growing up. <laughs> so <laughs> she just does, she doesn't want to know. She doesn't want to look. She doesn't want to know. It's funny. We, but like, she knows, but she doesn't want like more details. <laughs> right. Specifics. Okay. <laughs> hmm. And I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's any segue. We should just look at the gospel. <laughs> no, here's the segue. Okay. We all need grace. Yes. <laughs> Let's go to the gospel where we can find grace. very good segue. Uh, This week's gospel comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is is both commonplace and miraculous. This this account of Jesus calling his first disciples. So the the typical fisherman on the the Sea of Galilee, which is what we're talking about, um, it went by this other name as well, Gennesaret, and they would fish all night in the shallows in these flat bottom boats uh, with their nets. And in the morning they would clean them, you know, fish kind of smell fishy. And so um, they're done with their work and they're cleaning the nets. And Jesus comes to them, gets in the boat. And it's interesting, Kirk, how the, how the church fathers um, always had, uh, they saw things both literally and uh, um, kind of symbolically 
Um, they saw a lot of allegory in this, uh, in that he, in yeah. that Jesus chose Simon's boat and not Moses's, where you know, uh, the law of Moses, you know, had its own seat, uh, and yet Jesus gets into a different sort of boat. So, it's interesting coming across that, uh, which which certainly is is a theme here that. Uh, Jesus does not call his disciples in the temple or in the synagogue, but in fact, goes to their place of work. Hmm. And Kirk, you talk about God's grace. <laughs> These people, James, uh, Simon and James and John, they had done nothing to merit Jesus' call. And yet Jesus chose them. He called them. And, and, he, and he blessed them with this rich uh, catch of fish. And Simon is so convicted by this that that his response is like, I'm not worthy um, of, of this. Uh, like, I'm not worthy for you who are clearly a prophet to come to my home. I am unclean. I am a sinner. And clearly, uh, James and John were terrified. Uh, Jesus has to say, um, you know, do not be afraid. <laughs> clearly, there is some sense of terror at, at the miraculous nature of, of this thing that, that happened. Um and I, you, you'd imagine that there is some sense of reluctance in having be, been tired, being up all night. You're in the last bit of your preparations before going home. And then this guy gets in your boat and starts giving you orders. <laughs> and you wonder if they threw the, the nets in. It's interesting. They usually would troll around the shallows. It seems like they went out, went out deep here. All right, no, I guess a little. No, he says put it under the deep. That's why, yeah. I knew there was yep. a reason in my head that like they went out deeper, probably perhaps deeper than they, they usually go, where Peter's like, Are you kidding me? Like, there are no fish here. Like, we fished all night and now we're in the deep. And and again, this is this is to show the miraculous nature of it. Not that, like, oh, well, you know, Jesus maybe was a naturalist and happened to spy out like a good, uh, good uh, place where there'd be plenty of fish. No, it, this is a miraculous thing. They're out in the deep, and Simon's like, fine, I'm gonna do this thing. If it'll get you to shut up about this, the casts in their nets, and it's 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 such an overflowing catch of fish that their boats are sinking, and their nets are breaking. So, I mean, this is a a, a financial windfall, even, and um, it's so miraculous that this guy who they're probably reluctant to respond to, they left everything, and they followed him. And so, yeah, Kirk, there are themes of 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 the power of God. Uh, there are themes of God's grace. There are themes of um, God coming to those people uh, where they are. Um, there, it, there's this idea, you know, Jean, this was a trade, Kirk. This was, this was not a, a super dignified profession. I mean, I'm not saying it was undignified. I mean, this is a few steps uh, above like, you know, sewer cleaner. Um, but I mean, like the, the, the and it's, it's certainly above shepherds, but we, we do see this, this theme carried out of, of God coming to the lowly. And pronouncing them, uh, pronouncing his his blessing upon them, and not only that, but um, there's this apostolic call, right? Um, that uh, just as they have caught things, Jesus, is like you're going to be catching people now. And in two weeks from Sunday, Kirk is uh, World Mission Sunday, where we remember God's call to the nations, um, and and we think about Jesus growing his church from these first twelve to the billions. Um, that have been welcomed by baptism into his holy church um, throughout the years and, and today. Um, it's amazing to think of the way that um, kind of person by person that um, this apostolic thing of, of, of uh, being sent out and bringing the good news to the nations and people being brought in 
and I guess I'll close with this thing that we mentioned a few times a year uh, of, of like the, the significance of a boat in that the uh, place where the people in the church sit is called a nave um, because it's a, a term that means boat. And you, as you look upwards in a church and you see the ceiling, it looks like an upside down boat. Not in all churches today, but certainly in ancient churches, that, that's why it came um, to have that name, Nave, um, because uh, the church is God's boat. And there's all this imagery of, of, of being called um, across the waters, through the waters, um, and, and the sense of, of, of being safe and secure. Uh, in, in scripture, waters represent uh, death and terror. When we are baptized, um, we are uh, united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. And it's interesting, Kirk, even in the, um, the image of, uh, of the kingdom to come in Revelation, one of the things that stands out is, is a lack of water. That like um, this, this kind of roiling, unpeaceful thing is gone from the earth. Um, and I couldn't tell you, I'd imagine it's Revelation 21. Um, and, and that's, again, where there's a certain connotation to, to every piece of imagery we have. It doesn't always work. Um, uh, you know, water is also life. <laughs> But um, the waters, like the deep waters, um, ocean, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Kirk, what do you see here in this passage? Uh, it's interesting how the how the scriptures rhyme and repeat mm. and motifs and themes. God chooses lowly and un unlikely things and lifts them up high. Um fish are kind of at the bottom of the food chain. Um, we don't think of them much, except I think when we eat them. Um, we've got one fish as a pet in our house, and I probably go days without even looking at them. It's Bryden's pet, my oldest son's pet. Um, but fish early on become, uh, it becomes the, the symbol of Christianity. I think in, mm -hmm. in first and second century Christianity, even before, before the cross and the, the ultimately other symbolism supersedes it, uh, lambs and crosses and things like that. Um, part, part of it was, it was nifty as an acrostic, right? Ichthys mm -hmm. um, in, in Greek meant uh, Jesus Christ, son of God. Um, but also um, fish are a motif that, that become rich um, with, with meaning. And we have here, um, this is echoed in the other synoptic gospels. Um, we have, we have similar, similar passages in Mark and Mark one. Um, we have the feeding of the 5,000 as well. Um, we have in Luke 24, after the resurrection, we have uh, one of the resurrection appearances. We have Jesus grilling fish um, in Matthew 13. We have the parable of the nets where Jesus compares the angels separating the righteous from the wicked to fish uh, fishermen sorting out their catches. Um, but I got to tell you, Christopher, this is probably the most read um, or the most of these texts of these fish texts in the new Testament. Um, this is the one that I think you and I probably encountered most as a kid. Right. And in Sunday school, then we would sing the song, right. I will make you fishers of men, fisher. And it probably had uh, like hand symbol, like ha hand gestures that I've since forgotten, right? And that was great. It helped us remember the Bible story and the promise, but I think it sapped it of, of its profundity. Um, and, and only recently have I kind of reread this and has it been a wow moment for me? And here's what I mean by that. Um, 
we have when when Simon realizes kind of what's happened in verse eight, he falls down, right? He falls mm. down. He kneels yeah. before him. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not worthy. I'm a sinful man. Like go. Um, he kind of realizes he's in the presence of something holy, right? Um, and and Luke writes, for he and all who were with him were astonished. And so also, so we have the inner three, right? So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who are partners with Simon. So we have we have already the building of the, the inner three. And Jesus' response is, so this is his response to a kneeling man who says, I'm not worthy, I'm sinful. Um, he says, don't be afraid, right? And I, Jesus says that so much. And that's, I think, I think that uh, we, we, we can all do with remembering that, right? Don't be afraid. Um, but then he also says, um, from now on, you will be catching men, right? And uh, I mean, I think in Greek, that's probably anthropoi, which is just humanity, right? Men and women, right? Anthropology is the study of humanity, right? So, um, but it's a pun, right? Um, you, think, you think that's impressive? Um, you, just like you caught those fish, you're going to be catching people like that. Um, and that must have that must have seemed super weird, right? <laughs> that he remembered that because he how could he possibly have understood what that meant? Right? right, right. And so this is obviously a metaphor as well for the kingdom of God, right? Um, that uh, that um, the nets will overflow, and we see this promise throughout Scripture, right? He um, Abraham in his whatever seventies, eighties, and childless um, is uh, God. God look, you know points points him to the points his chin up to the night sky and says, oh, childless one, you, uh, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky, right? And he's like, well, my wife's barren. How is that possible, hmm. right? Um, we see this throughout um, uh, Elijah in the desert, <laughs> right? Um, when, when, like, there aren't even, I'm the last, I am the last, I'm the remnant, I'm the last one. No, 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 I have yet, I have yet, um, I have, how many are left in Israel? I always forget that number. Is it 7,000, seven, something? Um, when it seems as if there are, there are always more, the church, the remnant, the faithful are always more than the, every, any generation can conceive, right? I think this is probably good news for us. Um, churches have taken a, taken a hard hit after COVID and it's probably hard for us to look around. I think everyone's probably down 30, 40, 50% and wondering, looking at the culture you know what is it um millennials 30 percent of millennials are nuns um and and we're like ah the future is kind of um the future of america doesn't involve the church and yet jesus is saying <laughs> no look look at the catch um you're the church will be like that catch and so i, I don't know i'm encouraged mm. by this christopher does that make sense or am I, or am I like Russell Crowe in the shed in a beautiful mind, connecting dots that don't make sense? No, I like it, Kirk. So this is this is we sang our we sang our goofy nursery rhyme song, and I think it robbed hmm. it robbed this of its profundity. But I, as an adult, this is newly profound to me again. Um, frail human vessels like Peter, James, and John um, are used to for a miraculous catch of humanity, and that. I think that is hopeful and that is good news. And, and we should not, um, we should not feel uh, discouraged. Last night, Christopher, we did, I don't know if you saw this. I, I didn't maybe get a chance to talk about you, talk to you about this. We celebrated for the first time ever 
as a parish, our first candle mass service. Mm. Um, presentation of our Lord in the temple is always on February 2nd. Um, and it's uh, according to the Levitical law, 40 days after birth, right? So December 25th, 40 days is February 2nd. Uh, most Americans celebrate Groundhog's Day, but I would encourage the church to celebrate presentation of our Lord in the temple, the Christian Groundhog's Day, right? And um, I had worked hard with the choir preparing music. I had worked hard putting music together. Um, but a funny thing happened. Like we, di we didn't have a good kind of social media rollout and it was late. And, and I, I, I was just, I had a number in my head of the people that I thought we were going to get. And um, I was, I was kind of discouraged going into it. And um, we, we ended up having a bumper crop hmm. and it was so encouraging. And that church was filled with candles and light and prayer and praise. And um, to me, it's just a reminder that, um, that, that, that God will not abandon his church and the, the nets will be full, if not now, at some point in the future for he guides all of it. Mm. So thus endeth my monologue. What do you think? Mm. Good stuff, Kirk. Good stuff. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I want to raise one thing that I don't know, may not be helpful for everybody because I don't have a good answer. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and that is um, someone far smarter than me could give a compelling answer. And in fact, this, this is where I should say that um, soon I hope to have uh, my New Testament professor, um, Dr. Paul Rainbow, on the podcast to discuss his work on the Synoptic Gospels yes. um, and his study that he's done. I've talked to him about it. We just haven't scheduled to have him on. Uh, but he would be a great guy to ask this question where, Kirk, there is a seeming inconsistency here in the Gospels where um, last week I said a year had passed between the wedding at Cana and here. Right. Well, what do we know about the wedding at yeah. Cana? At well, the wedding at Cana, he's revealed to the disciples. Yes. At the wedding at Cana, he already has his disciples. And in the other Gospels, um, Jesus calls uh, his disciples um, early, um, not not late here, uh, in as as Luke portrays. And there's the additional question um, in the John. We have the, a, the cleansing of the temple happens sure. as well sure, in John. Sure, 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 yeah. sure. But but um, we have uh, a parallel text to this in John chapter 21, post resurrection, where um, the disciples don't recognize Jesus, but he calls from the shore and has them cast out their nets yeah. and 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 get this giant. Um, their nets are filled. Um. And here's the thing that we've always said about scripture, Kirk. Um, we we uh, tend against um, calling scriptures inerrant. Um, for instance, fundamentalists, one of the four fundamental fundamentals um, of Christianity is the inerrancy of scripture. Um, is it fundamentals or fundament? Anyhow, go on. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you. Um, but, but to say that scripture is in, inerrant, um, is to perhaps say something that scripture doesn't say about itself. And so we say that, uh, that scripture is God-breathed. We say that it's, it's reliable um, for, for teaching um, and for training in righteousness. Uh, that's what scripture says about it itself. We believe it's, it's utterly reliable. And so there, there are, are points where we see um, potential conflict. And we uh, sometimes I have a great answer for why there is a potential conflict. Um, uh, 
today I don't. I don't have an answer for why it seems like the disciples that Peter, James, and John were called earlier in, in the other gospels where it seems like they're called a little bit later here. Here's what I'll say is that um, the truth of, of Jesus Christ and the reliability of the scriptures does not rise or fall um, based on this, yeah. based on whether or not Luke in his uh, eyewitness interviews um, places this event at a different point than Mark and Matthew and John do. Well, I think if you if you have an kind of an inerrant view, you end up saying things that strike me as implausible. For example, I heard regarding the cleansing of the temple, which happens in John records in John two, Early, immediately yeah. after the yeah. wedding at Cana. Yeah. Right. So like he stomps on down from Galilee to Jerusalem, cleanses the temple. Um, in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all have it. Um, in his last uh, week of life. Yeah. 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 After Just, the triumphal entry. Yeah. Yeah. During Holy Week. Yeah. So um, I, I, I've heard one uh, a, a pastor whom I otherwise respect. It, it, it was one of the, I forget his name, one of the guys in the White Horse Inn, right? Sure. Um, said, there's only one thing to conclude. And he paused. I was he, kind he of waiting. Twice? He did it twice. Mm. I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't, like, I think it's okay that John is telling a story in a certain way and the synoptic authors are telling it in another way. Yeah. And, John, and, John has a very theological <laughs> gospel where it's, yeah. it's organized less sequentially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That that's, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So we already had it, the, the three gospels and yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make it wrong. And we don't, we, I think anytime we encounter this, we shouldn't pit scripture against scripture no, no. or also say like, well, obviously they both like it happened twice. I think that's probably yeah. like trying to trying to jam it in too hard. So, yeah. 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 Kirk, do you have any further thoughts or sh shall we move on to our, our culture? Segment? Just a fun thought. This is yeah. like, has no theological profundity. Um, but I'd read somewhere that the fact that they'd been fishing all night um, indicates they were probably, they're probably hard up for money and they're probably doing some redneck fishing. So <laughs> like, you know how like um, fish, fishermen have different lures. And if like, uh, um, yeah, if fish aren't going after one lure, sometimes they have like a really weird lure. And like fish will just like, what is that? Like, what the heck is that thing? And fish will swim up and check out the weird lure. Like, so at night I, I gather if you hold like a flame over the water, fish will be like, what's a light doing up there? And they'll like swim up to check it out. So like, it's possible. They were like dangling torches out over the water to get fish to swim up. Like, which is like a completely redneck way of doing it. Like, so it, it's just another delightfully human touch. These or, are human, you know, uh, I, it was the end of the month and they couldn't make their something, something payment. And so they, they were doing some like late night redneck fishing, like, cause I gather that wasn't common. Like, hmm. so just a fun, just a, a fun little yeah. human touch. Again, I think evidence of the truth of these narratives, no one is trying to paint themselves as, as elevated or saints or wise or smart. Um, there's sure. Some, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's an argument. Midnight fishing. <laughs> that's an argument we find ourselves making all the time, Kirk, yeah. is, is that um, if if the disciples made this up, they would portray themselves in a better light. Like, yeah. why would Peter <laughs> prostrate himself and, 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 and say, yeah. you know, I'm not worthy. I'm a sinner. Right. Yep. And why would they be afraid? They would have been brave, super brave, believing all the time. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like those sinful men. All right. Kirk, let's move on to our culture segment. Let's do it.
Today, we are discussing Adam McKay's latest film, Don't Look Up. Uh, listener, you may know Adam McKay uh, as the writer and director of many comedies, uh, starting with Anchorman, Talladega Nights, Step Brothers, The Other Guys, which I, I didn't care much for Step Brothers, Talladega Nights, or Anchorman, but The Other Guys is really funny. Um, Anchorman 2, uh, The Big Short, Vice, and Don't Look Up. Now, more uh, lately, he has gotten a little bit more political. I, I think he's always been political, and, and he um, does a lot of appearances on um, kind of far-left uh, uh, podcasts. And, and he, he's just, I don't know how he uh, classifies himself uh, politically, um, but, uh, he'd, he'd be pretty far left. Um, Wait, wasn't he on the Bernie Sanders campaign? That could I, be. I, he, he was, he was. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. And, uh, and, and that shows Kirk, <laughs> um, like the, the, the film vice, um, I enjoyed, but it was a film of a deranged mind. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, the, the, the Dick Cheney portrayed in that film bore very little semblance yes. of, of the, the actual right. Dick Cheney. It was, it was kind of, kind of him, him kind of grinding an ax and, it was a um, hatchet job. Yep. And I think for that reason, because he is, has become a, a very political, um, director, uh, this movie don't look up has received mixed reviews that in our kind of tribal silliness that people, um, on the right have said, I, this isn't funny. Like I, I've read articles by national reviews, uh, critics saying like, this just wasn't funny. And the people on the left, um, don't necessarily love it either. Kirk. I loved this movie. <laughs> um, yes. Acknowledging that Adam McKay is a crazy person. Um, and, um, the, 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 the metaphor, not the metaphor, the, I didn't even tell <laughs> the, what he's working with, uh, the, the parallel. He's trying to make a global warming movie, but instead he's making it about a comet. Kirk, that does not work. That's not a good analog. Um, global warming is, is kind of this gradual thing that, that um, uh, it, it is not like a, a comet coming to wipe out humanity where we have 67 days or whatever. And um, so even some left-wing, Credits kind of scratch their head at, at this, but I, I think the the essence of it does does hold. So, I guess that's a lot of throat clearing. But um, uh, this is a movie with Kirk, <laughs> an embarrassment of riches in its cast, just just amazing. Uh, let me read some of these names: uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jonah Hill, Mark Rylance. Uh, I'm sorry, Rylance. Um. Timothy Chalamet, yes. Ron Perlman, Ariana Grande, um, Himesh Patel, who is kind of on a hot streak of late being in Station Eleven as well and, and a few other uh, movies. Uh, Kate Blanchett, Meryl Streep um, are uh, some of the many uh, stars in this film, kind of a um, an ensemble cast. Um, and it's a movie. Uh, it's it's a, a black comedy film, kind of a satire of our society. And uh, Kirk, I, th I think that, that like he hit the mark on a lot of things. He's a little bit scattershot. Um, but I also don't think that every 
thing needs to be a perfect parallel. Kirk, I'm no expert of satire to be like, well, this joke didn't work. Um, like I <laughs> thought it was, it was superbly acted um, uh, with, by an amazing cast. Um, so let me get into just a brief synopsis and then we'll kind of jump into uh, themes and then performances. Um, uh, I should say um, this movie was released on Netflix and it's available on Netflix. So if you want to watch it, subscribe to Netflix for a month and then cancel your subscription because Netflix stinks. Um, uh, <laughs> but but uh, some of the critics uh, don't love that. Uh, they just don't love Netflix movies because they're not as tight. Like there's, there's not a studio requiring uh, most people say, Oh, this, this movie could be cut by 20 minutes. Right. That, that, like if they had a studio saying we got to get this to a tight hour and a half um, in order to release the theaters. In some ways, on Netflix, Netflix has too much money sloshing around. Mm -hmm. There's like mm -hmm. not a lot of quality control. There's not a lot of pressure to put out high quality products, but go ahead. And so people go that like Martin Scorsese goes there because like he doesn't want to get studio notes. And so it gives right. him the creative freedom to just make whatever movie he wants. So anyway, uh, this is a movie where, uh, and as always, we're going to use actor names rather than like making you, the listener, memorize all these no, character names. You have to say Kate DiBiaschi. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> so um, Leonardo DiCaprio is is um, uh, an astronomer. I believe he's an astronomer. Some sort of like science person um, working with Jennifer Lawrence. Michigan and... State astronomy professor, which professor, is really okay. important because he has a lot of fun with the accent. Yes, he does. <laughs> I, yeah, I should have said that Michigan State, um, which is great because like it's kind of this upper Midwest thing that that like um, when they get to New York, they're like, hey, where's he from? Michigan State? Like, is, is that even legit? Do they even have an astronomy? <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence is his student, a graduate student, and she discovers a comet that is going to destroy the Earth. It's going to be an extinction level event. And so they go to the White House where Meryl Streep is the president and her son, Jonah Hill, is the chief of staff. And uh, Kirk, it is just obscenely funny. Um, just the, the, the silliness of the White House. And, and that's where, like, um, I think, you know, the satire really hits is, is just the silliness of, of humanity where um, we have this comet headed for us and we're too busy Snapchatting each other to really get, get too bothered about it. Um, and they sit in this room and have, they have to wait like all day. Like they're like, do they know why we're here? Like we're going to die. Um, an another kind of uh, satirical barb um, is that the head of NASA isn't in fact um, an astronomer, but is, is what Kirk, I, you watched this more recently. It's, it's someone unqualified. Is it like a pharmacist or like, like somebody who whose skills are are not quite what they ought to be and and that's kind of how this movie is that the people making the decisions uh have very little expertise uh i i can't i can't remember who the head of nasa is but i will say this um while you're taking a breath uh rob morgan's character dr teddy oglethorpe as the head of the planetary defense coordination office <laughs> i looked that up that's a Real. thing that's a thing, yeah. It um in in 2016 it was created, um and its mission is as a planetary defense organization, um to look for near Earth objects <laughs> that could impact Earth. So I'm like actually really relieved that there are people out there that have that title. That that is good. That's great. All right, go ahead. <laughs> so when they finally do get a chance to sit down with the president, um, I mean, I I think Meryl Streep just as a, a I didn't know she was a great comic actor. 
But um, oh, I think she's great at whatever she wants to. <laughs> she's it's brilliant. But but she's more concerned about midterms than she is. This Can we say who early. she is? I mean, she's like the Trump character, right? Yeah, yeah. And and there's there's some really interesting like it's it's you know she's a mother and there's a son, but there's some really interesting like her son is Jonah Hill, which Jonah is- Hill who uh, is unqualified <laughs> to be chief of staff who. It talks about being attracted to his mother, which is kind of flipping that where, where Trump has talked about how gorgeous his daughter is right. in kind of a weird, <laughs> weird way. Um, and he's and, and more we, interested in about, about more interested in being kind of the elf in the room and dunking on people than, yeah, than anything yeah. else. Yeah. And, and so, so there's, they, he just has a lot of fun with that. Yes. Um, but uh, they, they kind of leave the White House like really unsatisfied. Uh, that's, that's, that is DiCaprio and, and Jennifer Lawrence. They're like, they're not taking this seriously. We're going to die unless we do something, which I mean, they don't mention, but like, I think every viewer is thinking of an Armageddon type scenario. And I mean, the movie where they go up into space and like blow, blow up the thing. So it doesn't destroy earth. Right. Where Steve Buscemi and, (laughs) uh, and um, yeah, what's his face? Save mankind. Yeah. Go ahead. Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. That's right. And actually, Steve uh, Buscemi has like that hilarious meltdown where he tries to like kill everyone up there. But we're not yeah, talking I about I, that. I movie. don't. I almost. He I remember almost nothing. He was ha- hilarious. But go ahead. So they're like, well, what, what's what's option? What's plan B for us as scientists? Like, how do we get the, the word out there? So they go to the they go to the press. They go to the media. And <laughs> um, again, every detail I'm skipping over a lot. Every detail is kind of funny of like the way they get there is through Jennifer Lawrence's boyfriend. That turns out to be kind of a funny thing the way that they break up. Um, but, but they go on this, like um, not like a hard news show, more of a, like, well, the New York show. times runs it. And then they kind of tell them like, well, we ran it. That was, it, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't get, no, the no one really clicked. <laughs> no one got, no one clicked. <laughs> No one's really interesting, interested in this story. You know, meanwhile, like they're more interested in like the celebrity bake breakup between yeah, Ariana Grande. Leonardo DiCaprio is like, what? We got B-16? B-16? <laughs> oh, that, yeah. That, and that's where he get, really starts talking through his nose, like um, pulls this Michigan accent. It's, oh, it's, it's so amazing. great. Yeah. And uh, so they go on this uh, kind of more pop um T, uh, news show like a today show and where tyler perry and kate blanchett play these <laughs> chipper hosts who um try to get the good spin on all the bad news and so right. um th- that's a hilarious segment and no one seems to understand and and at which point jennifer lawrence flips out and is just like why doesn't anyone understand um and uh kirk i don't remember what ha- what happens i'm I'm actually, I'm slogging through this. I need to get through this quickly. Um, but what happens is they're, they're ready to send Ron Perlman up to go blow up the comet. When at the last minute, a tech billionaire played by Mark Rylance and Kirk, his performance was so funny. I just, I just thought his, his character was amazing. Um, I don't know if he amused you. Um, oh, oh, Im- immensely. He comes and, into the room and whispers something. He's like his top donor, which allows him to come and go at, 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 yeah, at will. Yeah. Like his <laughs> donation level gives him access to like uh, security council meetings. Yes. <laughs> right. And uh, kind of as they're, you know, launching this, this countermeasure uh, against the, the comet, he comes into the room and whispers something in the president's ear. And they decide, you know what, actually, um, instead of blowing up the comet, what we're going to do is we're going to mine it. Um, well, there they are- don't decide that the way it's done, uh, 
is brilliant, right? Everyone, there are a series of a half dozen shots all across the globe of different people transfixed by these missiles going up and shooting up. And suddenly, Christopher, we see the missiles. Like peel off. All peel off. And everybody's like, what's happening? What's happening? Yeah. And and what happened? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's how it's revealed to the, to the viewer. And, um, and what happens is, uh, and Kirk, I guess we're well into spoilers here, but I, I, I don't think that that spoiling the movie spoils the movie because like what's great about the movie isn't the plot. It's the humor yes. and, and the satire. Um, and so Mark Rylance decides, uh, to, uh, there are all these rare earth minerals, like th- think microchip materials, like all these things that, that, that people like him could use. And so he, he, throws together um uh a plan to essentially mine it before it uh well, no, break, break, break into, into multi- bits break into bits yeah. lands in the pacific ocean and then we can ha- have billions of dollars worth of these uh minerals and um as that plan is studied uh leonardo dicaprio kind of raises some questions about it like uh this doesn't seem peer-reviewed like is, is this 100 safe if, like can we actually pull this off and they're like, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, we got it. And so the the, the title, don't look up. Um, the 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 nation becomes polarized between these two two groups. The one um one group which is uh, trying to take it seriously, and the other group that's like, don't look up, don't look up. And and they they become just stridently like, don't look up. Like, and, and so th- this kind of becomes a um parallel of of maybe COVID politics. Yes. Of, of, yeah. of people who are COVID deniers. Um, and people who are kind of unwilling like. You know, there's the fictional stories of of the people dying of of COVID and saying, "I thought this was just the flu. Like, how, why is this killing me?" It turns out, like the the person who, who's, but they're probably similar stories of that. You know, we've had eight hundred thousand and counting uh, dead just in the United States, um, and, and and unfortunately, many of them are people who who didn't take um, COVID seriously. And so in the movie, these people are represented by uh, a faction. And again, like we said, Adam McKay is very political. Um, and is poking fun at those who just are unwilling to look up at what's uh, right in our faces. If you just look up, the comments are right there. Um, and Kirk, uh, I think I'm just going to stop the synopsis right there because there, there's something that happens later in the film that I know we're going to discuss. A, a, <laughs> an amazing, amazingly poignant movie. Or, I'm sorry, an amazingly poignant moment in a um, in a in a satirical movie made by someone who's almost certainly an atheist. Um, like one of the yeah. most vacuous characters offers um, an amazing prayer um, and offers peace uh, um, as they are preparing to die. So, Kirk, what shall we talk about first? Well, I, I want to talk about a little bit of, about the very human um, portrayal of what happens to Leonardo DiCaprio's character as yes. he becomes famous, right? Yes. So yep. Yep. Um, on this Today Show, Kate Blanchett, every time he starts to kind of get into the science like he 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 doesn't have a good way of saying plain and simply what's happening right right? right. he wants to start kind of talking in astronomies right and she just looks at the camera and chuckles he's like don't you just love this guy and he becomes kind of america's astronomer and and there's like an inverse relationship to his fame and his mm. personal decisions, right? Yes, yeah. So he has a wonderful family, uh, a wife who loves him. Yeah. She's kind of down home. And um, he's got boys who love him. Like, it's not like anyone's distant. Um, it's clear that they enjoy spending time together. They have family meals. 
Um, and he gets kind of swept up with this idea of being America's astronomer. And he spends more time in New York and on the show. She gets a makeover um, and he appears on GQ as like, because yeah. underneath of his nerdiness, there's there's some handsomeness. And yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And his, 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 his goatee, which was kind of out of control, kind of gets trimmed and he, he like he becomes handsomer and more well-dressed. And but 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 also he has to make kind of compromises. And this is this is actually honest of Adam McKay, too. Politics is compromise, yeah. right? So either you get to be the scientist who says this is what's going to happen, but once you start making policy, like you have to balance competing interests. And um, for for being kind of an ideologue, Adam McKay does acknowledge that. You can see uh, Dr. Mindy, or I'm sorry, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, you can see his struggles as he realizes, like, well, I'm a policy advisor, and like, in order to you know get these things through Congress or whatever, this is how we have to, you know how we have to deliver this information. And so he becomes compromised. And, and, and the most obvious way he becomes compromised is he ends up having this affair with like, the Kate Blanche's character is just delightfully soulless. Like at, at one right? point, like, they have she's this- actually, She's actually brilliant, right? They have this pillow talk where at, kind of, kind of they're, 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 they're laying next to each other. They're having this affair. And, and he says like, oh, so, you know, tell me about back home for you, you know? And she's like, she sighs. <sighs> Do we have to have this get to know you conversation? Okay, I'll go. My childhood dog name was, right? She like mockingly goes through kind of like, here's who I actually am. Okay, are you happy now? And she like puts her glasses on and rolls us back over, right? So like, she's, she's like, uh, totally vacuous right like just completely superficial right and um but kirk that but that is a choice isn't that remarkable like she's actually brilliant like she is brilliant and has just chosen this life of 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 rather than than you know um curing cancer or or writing the great music of her generation or i don't remember what a particular skill was in yeah. vacuity for the sake of celebrity. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So all, all these compromises that, um, uh, that, that come with fame and with, with, uh, the spotlight and it's interesting and you see it, he doesn't like who he's becoming. Um, he's still kind of, uh, the, the awkward scientist, um, which brings us to Christopher, I think that the scene you want to talk about and the scene we should end on, um, there, there does come a confrontation with his wife. Um, and she's not, you know, she, she doesn't, she doesn't yell at him. She doesn't throw things at him. I, I think she, she just says like, can you just tell me it's over? I forget how it ends, but he's, he's, he's ashamed. And he realizes he, he wants to spend kind of his last moments with his family. Right. So having nothing left, having not his credentials, not the, not the being the, the astronomer, America's astronomer, not no having longer. the fancy yep. lover. Um, he's been stripped of all of that. All he's got left is his family. So enter this character that you want to talk about, Timothy Chalamet's character, right? Yule. <laughs> he doesn't even have a last name, right? He's just like this skateboarder dude. Um, he's so great. Timothy Chalamet, I've been enjoying. Who does drugs and and rides a skateboard and he recognizes, because uh, Jennifer Lawrence is yes. also discredited and yes. is sent home and she works at She's like, a grocery at- store. And yeah, Leonardo like, DiCaprio had 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 like basically a fight with her because she didn't yeah. like the direction he was going, and they separate. Um, uh, and and she she in fact leaves Michigan State and goes like to her parents' home. And when when it becomes clear that that the 
the world is going to end because the the failure, <laughs> the attempt um, to to break up this comet into multiple pieces that it can be mined fails. Um, they're like, why do we why do we have conflicts anymore? Why do we fight? Um, you know, DiCaprio realizes he's he's wrong. He calls Jennifer Lawrence. He's like, can we just be together in these last moments? So she she travels. Um, she has met Timothy Chalamet's character. <laughs> he recognizes her as, from who she is, and he's like, why are you cashiering at this grocery store now? Like like you are this brilliant person. This comet that's going to end the earth is named after you. <laughs> and they're they're hanging out. And uh, it's funny. Like in the middle of this, he acknowledges that he's actually an evangelical Christian. Yeah, yeah. So. And he's like, you know, like he's got this long hair and, and he does not look like your typical evangelical Christian. And he's like, I found my own way. So uh, he travels with Jennifer Lawrence. Um, and uh, it, it's super touching how um, DiCaprio's wife welcomes him back into their home. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And they have this this one last meal together, all sitting around this one table. And Kirk, do you, do you have the prayer that Timothy Chalamet's character? I do. Prays? Do you have that? I have do. That I do have it up. Um, and uh, this is so interesting, right? Uh, during certain moments, um, non-believers sense that um, something's missing. That there should mm. be a moment to mark or to invoke. Um, so this moment should be marked somehow. And I forget, I, I don't have the dialogue in front of me, but at some point they call kind of look around and, and, and they kind of realize maybe we should pray, but no one kind of knows how. And he just says, I think, doesn't he say, I got this. Don't worry guys. I got this. And I do have this. I do have this prayer. This is what he says. Kirk. Um, I just Googled it so I could read through it. Um, as you would read it aloud. Okay. Um, and, uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm reading on the internet, so it must be true. It says that the, that the prayer that he recites was actually Chalamet's idea. The actor felt like something was missing from the scene. Wow. Isn't it? And, and I think Adam McKay afterwards said, like, this is the best moment of the movie. Like, he recognized yeah. that yeah. that it brought it together. Um, did, did you have the dialogue that leads up to it? or Nope, just, okay. just the prayer. <laughs> okay, so here's the prayer. Dearest Father and Almighty Creator, we ask for your grace tonight, despite our pride, your forgiveness, despite our doubt. Most of all, Lord, we ask for your love to soothe us through these dark times. May we face whatever is to come in your divine will with courage and open hearts of acceptance. Man, that is not what I would expect from Hollywood <laughs> no. or, from, or from Adam McKay. That that is a that is a prayer, man. That is a that is a good prayer. And um, I think it's contrasting with Jonah Hill, who's sort of like the Trumpy <laughs> evangelical, um, has has really an offensive prayer. Um, earlier on, I had that up too. Mm. Um, during a broadcast of the Nation, he offers a prayer for stuff. Do you remember that? Yeah. He says, "Quote: There is dope stuff." like material stuff, like sick apartments and watches and cars and clothes and bleep that could all go away. And I don't want to see that stuff go away. So I'm going to say a prayer for that stuff. Amen. Hmm. Right. Notice his prayer doesn't mention God. It's kind of using God as a channel to make demands. Right. I'm cashing in on what he thinks he's owed for allegiance to God. Right. So, and this is, this is completely the opposite, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> and and so like I mean, good satire. I do think um kind of a fl- it doesn't like. So it takes some of Trump's words and he it puts it sometimes in Jonah Hill and sometimes in Meryl Streep. So jo- Jonah Hill, I don't want to get too far afield, but um, Jonah Hill at one point is is it? There was one speech where Trump was like talking about how like he didn't know how to talk to normal people. Um, <laughs> he's like, you know how like you all want to be like me and rich and smart and and you, know, you, have, <laughs> yes. you have, like you have like lame things and bad things like Kirk, <laughs> like I did that line the the way that um, Jonah Hill kind of was like struggling to like, like he thought he was kind of relating to people by saying like everybody. The interesting thing about Trump is, is, is people love him because they aspire to be him. Right. And he kind of, he gets that, but then like, uh, also he doesn't know what it's like to be poor. And, and like, he thinks he's absolutely, absolutely better than them. And he one time tried to articulate that to a crowd and it kind of came out clumsy. And and so there's a pretty funny line in the movie about that. And that's, there's stuff like that. That's throughout the movie. Yeah. But yeah, the prayer prayer is amazing. Yep. And, uh, and I know, I I think that that is why um, I think the left hates it. And it was supposed to be a, um, a a left-wing parable, right? Like um, all you rubes don't see um, that climate change is coming to kill us. And this is what it's like, you see. And these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. Don't be the bad guy. Look yeah. up. See it coming. Um, and the movie accidentally doesn't come off that way because of this right. redemptive scene at the end. Because there is humility. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, because there is the prayer for forgiveness at the end. Instead of, um, instead of a see I told you so moment. And I think that's what most people wanted. For it to be a proper sure. parallel, the sure. bad guys have to get their just desserts instead of everyone realizing that, like, we've all fumbled this. Um, so, yeah, Kirk, um, and that's where where I I feel like I could say that two things are are simultaneously true, that Adam McKay is a crazy person and this is a great movie. Yeah. Um, it's it's <laughs> unbelievably funny. Um, he misses the mark on a lot of his satire because the idea is that he's trying to convey is, is that we should all be sorry and we should all, um, he doesn't say this outright, but the sense I get is that we should all just turn over the decision-making to the experts. Yep. And if we just did that, everything would be okay. And yet in the movie, um, uh, the experts experts, like are, are, are corrupted. Like Leonardo DiCaprio is corrupted by the power. Because and, uh, so because he's a good storyteller, he he accidentally doesn't do a good job yeah. just saying the moral, uh, like right? Like if you right. would have just read the morality tale off the note card, yeah, um, that would have been one thing. But because he's a good storyteller, he writes human characters, and human characters don't work that way. You can't just give everything to the experts. That's not how life works. Yeah, and it's interesting <laughs> that that um, you know, critics of this movie uh, complained that um. The depiction of humanity um, isn't really worth saving, um, and I'm like, well, that's kind of the point. Is that like yeah. we we get distracted by stupid things? <laughs> yeah, um, we get distracted by celebrity breakups and and getting reunited rather than thinking about the important things in life. And and w- when we see that skewered, like we used to be able to laugh at ourselves in that way, 
And, uh, and, and it seems like we've lost our sense of humor. We've become too tribal and we can't laugh at a movie if, if it has the wrong politics rather than just saying like, there's some amazing performances and some, in fact, some poignant stuff um, where uh, I, I don't know what it is that, that, that people were looking for here where um, Kirk, I, I love this movie. I, I, I watched it myself and then I uh, put my dad and my, and my wife through watching it. And then I was like, Kirk, you and Kim you have to watch it. <laughs> yes. And you did. And, and you guys loved it too. So, hey, can I draw a parallel? Um, and I wonder if you thought about this. I, I was constantly thinking back to the, um, the 2006 uh, Mike Judge movie, Idiocracy. Mm-hmm. Did, did you? Yeah, for did sure. Did that come to mind? Yeah. Um, Which people laughed at because it's like, yeah, look how dumb we are. Like, like. <laughs> And yet well, people also people were like that'll never happen. By this. And then it right. happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, I, I thought this was I liked idiocracy and I thought this I was did significant. Too. I thought this was significantly better. Yeah. It was I funnier, mean, it, like better it was in every idiocracy way. for our times. It's sure. it's it 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 fits for for kind of where we are now. Yeah. 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 And I mean it's it's just interesting. Uh I never thought that Jennifer Lawrence could appear uh, unattractive and like they kind of put bangs on her. (laughs) Like it it was intentional. I'm not like criticizing her. I'm like, it was intentional. Like we're going to make her look really unattractive, which um, seems impossible. But I have this thing where um, I I have this theory where I think um, movies are fun to watch or gripping or compelling when actors are having fun doing something weird. Like they have something to latch onto. So like Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, Great Lakes accent, you know, <laughs> like he really, really digs into that thing, you know. Um, B-16? <laughs> yeah, and uh, Jennifer Lawrence being this um, this really like un- unhappy person stuck in a grad program, you know, and like kind of hating everything. And she leans <laughs> into that. And uh, it's so great. And then lastly, Mark Rylance, Obviously, had enormous fun doing whatever. Whatever, I like. I wonder. No, I was kind of. I need to search deeper. What was his muse? I mean, because he's, he's obviously he's the he's the Tim Cook um, slash slash Jeff Bezos. I mean, Mark, Mark Bezos. Zuckerberg. You know, Mark Zuckerberg is is like people joke about him being a robot. Like, yeah, just but in his in, in his kind of he's eccentric. Yeah, but the delivery and the cadences and I mean, th- there had to have been that has. I just wonder what his muse was. He had enormous fun. And then the last one, Joan, Jonah Hill, obviously. I, I don't think much of Jonah Hill as a person, but right. he obviously had enormous fun doing whatever that whole thing was. And, and you Kirk, already said about, Meryl Streep. And, so and Meryl Streep is the always, president, like talking about just the, the, not talking about, she depicted the silliness of our politics when she lights up a cigarette in the, yes, in the White House. Yes, and, and my, my polling to- went up 40%. <laughs> you know, she talked about how she used to have to hide it. And finally she's like, screw it. I'm just going to smoke in front of it. And then her polling went up. And like, even just the <laughs> hand gesture she did when she yes. did that was phenomenal. It was, it was Yes, with the cigarette in the hand, yes. like yeah. gesturing up, which reminded me, Christopher, as she did that, that reminded me of like, um, gesturing with the cigarette used to be a part of conversations that we've kind sure. of lost. Like yeah. there was an art to that. People would gesture with that cigarette and I would like, it would be transfixing as they were like gesturing with the the cigarette in the hand. And like, it's not a part of our, or, or the, um, the calculated pause as they take a drag. Right. 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 Between right. phrases like that, that was like part of speechifying man, part of telling a story. That, right. Uh, and she, le- she leaned into that too and utilized that well. 
but we're like far and afield Kirk, now. So sorry, and Kirk. One of my favorite jokes, because here's my thing. One of the reasons I love Arrested Development and Thirty Rock and shows like that is because they build jokes. Yes, I mean they'll spend seasons <laughs> building jokes and then referring back to old jokes. Um, kind of like it's not just like, hey, remember that funny thing that happened. Um, it's it's kind of adding to it, and the more someone obsesses over something, the funnier it gets. And so there's there's the moment when they first get to the White House where one of the one of the important generals there um, brings them snacks. Yes, and then charges yes. them for this. He's like this, ten, you know, ten bucks each, and they find out later that the snacks were free. Yeah, and Jennifer Lawrence Lawrence <laughs> cannot let it go. Like, why would he do that? Is that like a power move? Like, was he like in the rest of the movie? Like, she she mentions like I don't want to, like this yeah, guy like, like charges for snacks that were free. Like, that's so great. Well, why? Like, what was he doing? <laughs> which which is is like a really funny bit that like. <laughs> Why did he do that? <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like, so she leans into the anger. Like she's just yeah, angry yeah. at everything. And it's so <laughs> funny. It's so funny. Yeah. 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 Any, any final thoughts on it? No final thoughts. Uh, Kirk, is this movie for everyone or is it just for weirdos Don't watch like it with us? kids. It's pretty yeah. profane. This is, it was one complaint I have, which is like, um, kind of increasingly uh, kind of post-Christian America. It's been like kind of the very online left. Um, is really trying to um, normalize the F word. And like like uh, Jennifer Lawrence, like when she's on the Today Show, like in her um, kind of her Jeremiah, right? Like she is the yeah. prophet, right? Well, I don't think Jeremiah swears at Israel, right? <laughs> I don't know. Like, so don't watch it with kids, but it's because it's pretty darn profane. But yeah. other, other than that, like, I think it's for, I think everyone should, it's funny. It's funny. It something, yeah, it's funny. And it skewers every aspect of uh, the left, the right, uh, academia, um, the press, uh, celebrity culture. It, it, no one is left unskewered. So. Yeah. Kirk, uh, one, one character we didn't talk about, which we can't do this forever, but um, Ron Perlman's kind of like patriotic, <laughs> like veteran, who is the guy who's going to go up and destroy the unbelievably funny he's a, he's the guy who's writing the nuke at the end of um right uh what's how i learned it what's the, the, the dr strange love dr strange love yeah yep which we should remember <laughs> that guy's name but yeah yeah it's a it's just a, a everyone should laugh at that anyway yes kirk shall we pray let's end in prayer the lord be with you and with your spirit let us pray oh lord our heavenly father keep your household the church continually in your true religion that we who trust in the hope of your heavenly grace may always be defended by your mighty power through jesus christ our lord who lives and reigns with you in the holy spirit now and forever amen amen the grace of our lord jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with us all evermore amen, amen. kirk we'll talk next week next week